Well, it's been a while since we've been together, hasn't it? Uh, for Sunday night Bible study tonight, we are in Revelation chapter 12. I had a debate today with someone during lunch about uh, what chapter we're in, because it's been so long. I won't say who that is, but uh, her initials are Jamie Gordon. As she thought we were in chapter 14. She was hoping we were in chapter 14. Her daughter said to me, you are still in Revelation? I said, honey, not only are we still in Revelation, we're just in chapter 12. But we're going to try to pick up the pace here a little bit. Certainly tonight we're going to try to cover an entire chapter. Jamie doesn't think that's possible, but we're going to try our best. Now, Revelation chapter 12 is a very intriguing passage of Scripture. Uh, tonight we're going to be studying a chapter that will help us understand why some people hate the Jewish race. One of the things we will glean from this chapter. It's, Revelation 12 is, is really the key to understanding why God's people throughout time, and certainly this will be amplified near the end of time, why God's people, especially God's chosen race, the Jews, are such a target. And there's a reason, you know, that Hitler came about and brought about the Holocaust and the, or the Holocaust. There's a reason that Saddam Hussein uh, entered the world and aimed his missiles at Israel. There is a reason that even today there are many who continually try to attack Israel. There's a reason behind all of that. And we get a little insight into the, into the reason in Revelation chapter 12. So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to look at three key figures that are revealed in these six verses, try to understand who they are and what they represent. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days or three and a half years. So, interesting people mentioned in this text and we want to just work our way through the first six verses and see who are these key figures that are mentioned in this tremendous text. First of all, it refers to a woman. Now, the question that you need to ask as you study the Scripture is, who could this woman be that is referred to in Scripture? Well, the first thing, before you try to answer that, the first thing I want you to notice is that she, it is referred to as a sign. Would you look in, in verse 1? A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. Now, in Scripture, a sign usually represents something else. It's symbolic of something. A, a sign points to something beyond itself. So keep that in mind as we try to figure out, well, who could this woman be? This, this 
wondrous sign that appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun and moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. We could take a long time and dig into that, and I'm just going to run through it real quickly, some possibilities. First of all, some people would say that this woman referred to in Revelation 12 is Mary. Of course, Mary gave birth to Jesus, and, and the Roman Catholics would say that uh, this is the Virgin Mary. But Mary did not give birth in heaven. Mary gave birth on earth. Plus, again, it is re- this person, this wondrous woman, is a, referred to as a sign, not a literal woman. Um, some people over the years have said this woman that is referred to in Revelation 12 is the church. The problem with that is that in verse 5, the woman gives birth to Jesus Christ, and that's impossible for the church to do. The church is not here uh, because uh, we get, to give birth to Christ, we're here because Christ was born. We're the result of Christ. We're not the one who, that produced him. Uh, so the woman in chapter 12, I believe, is a clear symbol of the nation of Israel. I want you to write that down. It's a clear symbol of the nation of Israel. I want you to notice how this woman is described in the second part of verse 1. It says, A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and a crown of how many stars on her head? Twelve. Write down in the column there in the reference where you've got a place for notes, write down this reference, Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11. Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11. Uh, I want you to, somebody to read that for us real quickly. Let's turn there. Bible drill time. Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. It's interesting that in this account, this family was the beginning of the nation of Israel. And the sun represented the father, Jacob. The moon in this dream represented his mother, Rachel. And the 11 stars represented the brothers of Joseph, including him that would be 12. Uh, It's very likely, and there's some other things we could look at in Scripture we don't have the time to, but it's very likely that the woman in Revelation 12 represents, I believe, the nation of Israel at its beginning. The nation of Israel. That is a key Uh, truth that you need to understand. And the reason that is a key truth is because I want you to notice, secondly, the seed of this woman, verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. This woman who represents Israel is going to bring forth a child, according to this text. Now, who is this child? Well, of course, we would say that this child brought forth by this nation of Israel was who? was Jesus. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Isaiah 9, 6, write that verse down in, in, your, in the column there. Isaiah 9, 6, speaking to the Jews and speaking for the Jews says, unto you a child is born this day. Revelation 12, 5, the the identification of this child, I think, is the Messiah, the the one who came from the nation of Israel. The earthly life 
and death of Christ are not mentioned, but his birth and his ascension are. The beginning and the end of his ministry here on earth. Look at it again in verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Her child was snatched up to God, to his throne. So we believe that this, is, this representation of the woman is the nation of Israel who will give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. Now, I know I'm re- running through this a little bit, and it would be good to stay and dig in a little while, but I'm wanting you to see the whole picture. So let's talk secondly about the enormous red dragon. The enormous red dragon, who would he be? Look at verse 3. Then another, another what? Another sign appeared in heaven. Now notice where this sign appears. Where does this sign appear, class? In heaven. This is going to intrigue you in a moment. It may blow your mind. You may say, whoa, I I didn't think about that. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Here's a picture of the devil himself. He is known as... in in other places, as the dragon. In fact, he's named in verse 9. Look in verse 9. If you wonder who the red dragon is, we know for sure because it says in verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, and then he's named, he's described, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Here is a picture of the devil, and he is referred to as this enormous... Red dragon. Enormous because of his great power. Red because of his murderous deeds. Dragon because of his fierce and frightening nature. Let me stop, uh, pause for a moment to say that there are many in our world today who do not believe in a literal devil. Have you, have you seen that? Have you heard people like that? They do not believe in a literal devil. But my friend, may I say to you that the Bible does not hesitate to point out the fact that the devil is a literal entity, a literal personality. And look at the names used for the devil in this text. In verse 3, what's his name in verse 3? What's his description, rather, in verse 3? Enormous red dragon. Verse 9, what are the names given to him? Ancient serpent, the devil or slanderer, Satan, which means adversary. And in verse 10, he is called the accuser of our brothers. Now, look what happens in the next verse, verse 4. Now that we know who this red dragon is, look what happens in verse 4. This really begins to become interesting. The sinister work of this dragon. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. The sinister work of the devil. The Bible says that his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. Usually in Scripture, when it talks about the stars in this symbolic way, it's referring to angels. Write down Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Isaiah 14, and while you're writing it down, I'm going to turn there and read it for you. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. Here's what we read. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, 
You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. More than likely, the reference here is to the time when Satan was flung out of heaven, kicked out of heaven, if you will. And when he, when he tried to make himself like God, he was removed from heaven and took a third of the angels with him, corrupted angels. I like what Leonard Ravenhill, best-selling author, uh, he was in a prayer meeting on one occasion. And he prayed these words. This is a great prayer. Listen to this. This is the prayer that he prayed. He said, Lord, we read where one-third of the angels fell from heaven, and praise God, that means that two-thirds didn't fall. It means that there are two angels for every demon. So thank you, Lord, for helping us see the bright side of it all. One-third may have fallen, but there's two angels for every one that did fall. But I want you to notice how sinister the devil is. Not only did he take a third of the angels with him from heaven, but Satan tried to short-circuit God's plans for the earth by eliminating God's Messiah. Look what it says in verse 4. What does it say that he tried to do in verse 4? Yeah, verse 4 is, is, I'm sorry? Now, here's the question. Why would he do that? If that child represents Jesus Christ, if he's talking about Jesus Christ, why is he, is he so intent on devouring the Lord Jesus from the moment he was born? To thwart God's plan to save us, absolutely. What does it go back to? Can anybody take it back to a particular verse? Peggy's exactly right, but is there a particular verse that points back that you might think about in the Old Testament? Yes. I want you to, I want you to go with me. Uh, I didn't write down the reference, so we're going to have to find it together. It's in Genesis 2, I think, uh, or 3, Genesis 3. Uh, what's the verse? Y'all help me find it. 3.15? Yes, Genesis 3.15, thank you. This is after the fall of man, after Satan has corrupted the world and convinced Adam and Eve to sin. And Jesus, or the God says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Most scholars believe that's a reference to the Lord Jesus. He will crush your head, and Satan has tried to short-circuit God's plan because what God told him in the Garden of Eden, that the seed of the woman would crush his head. Now listen to this. this. This is where it gets very interesting. Satan has worked since that day to destroy God's promised seed. From that day forward, he's, been, he's described in Revelation 12 as standing there. What was the verse again? Uh, verse, yes, verse 4. So the... 
The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. From that, from that time on, Satan has been intent on destroying God's promised seed. And you even go back before Jesus into the Old Testament, and you can see he was trying to carry out this plan. He motivated Cain to kill Abel, but God raised up Seth to carry on that seed. Satan calls such an evil in the world that God destroyed the world with a flood, but God saved the seed through Noah and his family. Satan moved Pharaoh. He used Pharaoh to destroy all the male children of the Hebrew families, but God saved that seed through Moses. When Jesus was born, Satan used Herod to try to slaughter Jesus. Remember how the babies were killed? All the, all the male babies that were in that area in Bethlehem were killed. But, but the angel warned Joseph to take Jesus and escape to Egypt. And then even all the way up to the cross, as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan attacked him in such a way that Jesus was saying, if there is any way possible, let this cup pass from me. And an angel had to come and minister to, to the Lord Jesus. And then, you know the story, he was placed on the cross, he was crucified, and Satan thought he had finally won the victory. What he had been trying to do since the Garden of Eden, he had now accomplished, he thought. For three days, he thought that. And after the third day, it was like, oops, did not accomplish it. So, the wrath of the dragon has been unleashed against the woman's seed. But, because of that, the wrath of the dragon has also been unleashed, not only against Jesus, but against others who represent him. Let me say it this way. Anti-Semitism is alive and well in our world today because of Satan. And it has its roots going all the way back to this, this time when he was trying to destroy the seed. You know as well as I do that if you can't hurt somebody, you can hurt their children. If you can't get to them, you can hurt their children. If you, so Satan has been for many, many years, for centuries, trying to destroy those who represent the seed of Jesus. By the way, you know, it, it, was, it was the Jew who... Uh, gave birth, it was a Jew who gave birth to the Messiah. The Messiah, Jesus, was a Jew, of course. Most of the New Testament, well, probably, I guess, all the New Testament were written by Jews. They gave us the scriptures. And so there, there's this, this wonderful nation of Israel that God has used as a channel of blessing to the world. But at the same time, there's been this, this awful attack against those same people for that very reason and here's the thing I want you to hear me say it's going to get worse anti-semitism is going to get worse in our world the tax against Israel is going to to get worse now that sets the stage for the rest of the chapter which is probably one of one of the most unusual parts of Revelation from our perspective because it talks about a war. And this war occurs in one of the, the place you would never expect it to occur. There is a war that will occur in heaven. Look in verse 7. 
And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. We know who the dragon is. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. An intriguing scripture here. I want you to walk with it, walk with me through it carefully. Um, do you know, you may not realize this, but, but do you realize that in this present age, even to this present day, Satan does have access to heaven. Uh, when you think about that, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I thought he was thrown out of heaven. Yes, he was kicked out of heaven. He lost his position in heaven, but he did not lose his access to heaven. Write down this text, this reference, Job 1 and 2. Uh, the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, make that very clear that heaven is not off bounds or out of bounds for Satan. At one time, Satan was the highest of God's angels, and he rebelled against God, Isaiah 14, we've looked at that. But even at this moment, he has limited access to go before God's throne as your accuser. So Revelation 12 is a record of a great war that will be in heaven where Satan will try at the very last time to take over God's throne. One more time trying to take over God's throne. One more time, trying to defeat God. And that war is recorded for us in this scripture. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, notice in your text there, the war in heaven. Satan finds it hard to give up. So he, he thinks he can still somehow defeat God. And so that's what these verses are talking about. One day, Satan will, will be cast forever out of heaven. And that's recorded in verse 8. It says, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was, what's that next word? The great dragon was what? Hurled down to the earth. And, notice this, and they lost their place in heaven. They had it until that time, had access until that time. The record of Satan is this. Satan is on his way down. John is saying, you need to understand something. He lost his position in heaven as an exalted angel. He lost uh, his, uh, his position that he had. He was going to be cast out of heaven. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit, and then he'll be cast into the lake of fire. He is on his way down, and we will one day be rid of him altogether. And won't that be glory? By the way, if you look on your notes, I've been meaning to tell you this for a long time. If you look on your notes, you say, Pastor Keith, there's a typo. Uh, Satan should be capitalized. I understand that. I, grammatically, I understand that's correct. I just can't bring myself to do that. And so if you ever see any notes that I give out and you say, I, I wish the dummy would learn to capitalize that. I do that intentionally because I do not want to give him any recognition beyond that. Does that make sense? All right, so 
when this great war in heaven occurs and Satan will be forever cast out of heaven, what do you think the response will be? Huh? Look at verse 10 and 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, here's the, re the response, Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Then notice the next part of verse 12. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So, Pastor Keith, what is that talking about? It's coming a day when Satan will lose access to heaven. He'll be hurled down. This war in heaven, he'll lose that battle. He'll be hurled down. And when he loses access to heaven, he's going to take out his anger on earth. And I'm convinced that the war on earth will be unlike anything we've ever could even imagine. The terror, the agony, the sheer hell on earth will be unlike anything we could ever imagine. So that brings us to number two on the notes, the war on earth. Let's, let's stay here for a few minutes. Verse 12, the second part of verse 12. It says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now let's stop there for a moment. Who was the woman? What, what does the woman symbolize? So he says that when the dragon is hurled down to the earth, who did he pursue? Israel. People have been pursuing Israel for a long time, haven't they? Fueled by Satan, they've been pursuing Israel for a long time. But that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. You say, well, when will all of this happen? All of this will take place at the halfway point of the tribulation. At the halfway point of the tribulation, this is when this great war will occur. This is when uh, there will be this war in heaven and then this war on earth. And, and the reason, by the way... The reason that it's called the Great Tribulation, the second half is called the Great Tribulation, first half is just called the Tribulation, the second half is the Great Tribulation, is because Satan's outburst of fury and his out ouster from heaven will occur at this point, and he will take out his anger on earth. So that's the Great Tribulation. And it... Such a picturesque word in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is what? It's short. Satan will try his best to maximize his closing days. See, he's no fool. He knows that his days are numbered. So he will work as hard as he can to do as much destruction as he can in those last three and a half years. Ladies and gentlemen, 
those three and a half years will be a time where Satan focuses his attack like never before in pouring out his wrath against Israel, God's people. That is why you see in chapter 13 the rise of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Chapter 13, we'll be looking at that soon, but those things occur after Satan is kicked out of heaven. After he loses that battle in heaven, there will be a battle on earth, and that will bring the rise of the Antichrist. That will bring the rise of the, uh, of the mark of the beast. You see, the Antichrist is simply a furious response to the battle that Satan will lose against God. It is a furious response to trying to attack God's holy people. And Satan will first try to destroy the nation of Israel. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman, Israel, who had, been, who had given birth to the male child. Verse 14, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half out of the serpent's reach. Satan will, want, he will try to obliterate God's people to exterminate them and eradicate them from the face of the earth, but God will protect the nation of Israel, at least a, a portion of it. And it says that they'll be given the two wings of an eagle. Now, what do you suppose those two wings are? What do you suppose that represents? Somebody talk to me. Does that sound like anything you've heard in the Old Testament? Write in the column of your Bible, Exodus 19.14. Exodus 19.14. This is one, there are several other passages that we could look at, but this is one uh, that I think will help you understand. Uh, Exodus 19.14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. No, it's not that one. What is it? Thank you. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And he's talking to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God said to his people, you've seen what I did to Egypt when you were in bondage, how I carried you on the eagle's wings. Eagle's wings seem to symbolize the protection of God, the deliverance of God. In that famous passage in Isaiah. Isaiah, let's, let's find that one too. These verses are just popping in my mind tonight. Isaiah, isn't it chapter 40? 41? All right, chapter, thank you. Chapter 40. Um, verse 20, let's start in verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. 
the believing Jews are going to experience a supernatural provision and protection of God during this time, and he will take them out to a safe place away from the reach of the devil. Now, lots of people have tried to decide where is that safe place. Some scholars speculate that it's Petra. Petra is a fortress, a sandstone fortress in, in, out in the Judean wilderness or the Judean desert. Uh, and it may very well be something like Petra, but there's going to be some place where God will take his people and protect them from the reach of the red dragon. By the way, David Jeremiah is a man that I greatly admire. Uh, he, he, he knows a lot about Revelation, about uh, the apocalypse and all those kind of things, and he said something that I kind of chuckled when I read it, but because I have such great respect for him, I want to share it with you. He believes, or at least he says it would be nice if the eagle's wings represents the United States Air Force. That the United States Air Force would, would somehow... He said, he, this is what he said, and I wrote it down. Uh, he says, how else would someone in the first century describe something like a jet plane? In fact, it's interesting how it describes it in verse 14. Uh, the, woman who was, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert. Uh, so God said, listen, my people are going to be flown somewhere to this place in the desert. David Jeremiah, normally I wouldn't even mention something like this except David Jeremiah believes it, so you know, I have to at least consider it. But he says, is it possible that the wings of the eagles refers to the United States Air Force and God will use them to save his people? I, I don't know. I tend to believe that it's more in the Old Testament reference, uh, that it just represents God's deliverance. Like he said previously, when I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you out on eagles' wings. Whatever it means, here's what you need to understand. There will be a place prepared for God's people to protect them. Look at verse <coughs> 14 and 15, what's going to happen? Verse 15, uh, it says, Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with the torrent. Some people say, is that a literal flood? Is that an actual flood? Is it a flood of anti-Semitism? Is it referring to some kind of armies that will come to defeat Israel? Well, regardless of what it is, God wins again because in verse 16, but the earth helped the woman by, by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Listen very, very carefully. Satan, his ultimate objective is not just you. His ultimate objective is not just the Jews. His ultimate objective is God. But because he can't get to God, because he can't defeat God, then he's going to aim for God's people. He's going to unleash his fury. Look, look at the word in verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman or at Israel and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. 
And that would include us because it says those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we are already living in a war, living in a world, even in the United States, where those who hold to God's commandments and the testimony of Jesus are already facing persecution. Would you agree with that? And it's growing, isn't it? That's growing, it seems like, every year. It, it just seems, every year it just seems to get worse and worse and worse and worse that there is this, this growing opposition to God's people. This growing opposition to anyone who would dare to obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You need to understand, I need to realize, we all need to realize that we're heading for something far worse than that. Satan will seek to destroy the people of God who have been saved during the first three and a half years of that tribulation and in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He will do everything he can. He will throw all of hell against God's people in his wrath and in his fury against God. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he said, there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. There will be great distress in the world because of that. Now, all of that sets the stage for the Antichrist. We'll look at that next time as we go to Revelation chapter 13 and beyond. Let me pray with you before we leave. Father, we've known all of our lives that Satan is the enemy We've known all, the, all of our lives that he's been the enemy of your people. But we've seen afresh and anew tonight that his fury one day will certainly be unleashed. His fury against you, his fury against those who serve you and love you. I pray that for each of us we will make sure we have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Not so that we can become a target of the enemy, but so that we might be delivered from the enemy. Thank you for telling us ahead of time of what's coming. And as that day rapidly approaches, may we become more and more people of your word people who hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.